Hey, family. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. Um, so I was rollerblading because I know that's the question everyone was asking. Rollerblading with my kids. I wish it was awesomer. Uh, as it turns out, you don't want things to break your fall. You just want things to help you fall. But I broke my fall with my wrist. So here we are. All is well. Um, yeah. Uh, somewhat appropriate for Father's Day, perhaps. I don't know. Um, my family doesn't think so. <laughs> um, well, before we get into the Word, I, I wanted to say Happy Father's Day. Um, you know, it's, it's a unique privilege to be a father, a uh, unique responsibility. Uh, you know, as Christians, we're called to reflect the character and nature of God. Uh, the idea is much like uh, going into, it's a less creepy version of going into a, a room of mirrors, right? In the room of mirrors, everything's reflecting what's in the room. Um, God has created the earth as, as a glorious and good place for us to reflect his glory. And, and men, husbands, fathers, we have been called to reflect the fatherhood of God, and, and we either do it well or we do it poorly, um, but it is a privilege to be able to do it at all. Amen? Uh, secondly, uh, I want to say to you in advance, happy Juneteenth. Um, if, if you don't know what Juneteenth is, yeah, clap because I can't. Uh, it's a day that we celebrate the emancipation of enslaved peoples in the U.S. Um, it only recently became a holiday, but it was celebrated in Texas in, I think it was 1865 as well. But it's, it's a moment for us to remember what God has done in our nation, uh, at the same time to remember what God continues to need to do. Um, and so, briefly, before we get into the Word, I'm just going to pray for God's continued work in our nation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done and what you are doing. And God, we thank you that your Word says that, especially in Christ, but in creation and in Christ, uh, there is no distinction between men and women, between races. But God, you hold them all in authority uh, you hold them all in, in um, dignity. And Lord, we pray that you would continue the work of, of reconciliation in our nation. God, that, that our churches would be places where that reconciliation is seen. That we would love one another because you have loved us. And we would love those who are different from us because you have loved us. So God, would you do that work and would you make us catalysts of that kind of change and work we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, last week, we started a new series on generosity. And, and the reality is that the, the life of a Christian ought to be the life of generosity. It, it's a life of many things. It's a life of holiness, of, of being sanctified to God. In other words, being set apart for His purposes, the destiny that he sets for us, but it's also a life of generosity. God, God makes his people a generous people, and we see that in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that, that God blessed many people through the family of God. And then in, in the New Testament, especially in Acts, we see that, that God's people gathered together, and they, they were generous toward one another. They cared for the needs of one another. They, they met with one another. And last week we saw in Romans 8 that God 
He's a generous God. God is a generous God. If you, if you aren't familiar with that reality, my hope is that you would come in touch with that reality, that you would see God not just as a holy and righteous judge, which he is, but also as a generous and good and merciful God who, who doesn't desire that anyone should, should perish, but that all should find salvation. He is a generous God. And because God is generous, we can be generous too. So this week, we'll see that those who serve, thank you, sir. Those who serve determine how, <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, this week we'll see that those who serve, who we serve determines how we give. Let me say that again. Who we serve determines how we give. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read this together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that right now you would, by your spirit, draw us to yourself. And that we would freshly commit ourselves to being your servants. Lord, I pray against the the divided heart heart which seeks to, to serve two masters, Lord. And I pray that there would be a a loyalty, and a commitment in our hearts to serve you because you are worthy alone. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the bankruptness of our, sin, our, our, our idols, that, that the things that we desire to worship, money, possessions, material things, though many of them are good things, none of them are God things. And I pray that we would freshly appreciate the salvation that we have in Christ. And with eternal perspective, with a a view towards the reality that we will live far beyond 80 years, Lord, that we would see today and specifically the resources that you've entrusted to us as tools to serve the master, not as the master. Lord God, I pray that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So the idea, the big idea today is pretty simple. Serve God, not money. Serve God, not money. I'd invite you in this moment to be honest with yourself because I think one of our first inclinations when I say something like that would be be to say, oh, I I don't serve money. I'm not 
a greedy person. I know greedy people. I've watched movies about greedy people, but I'm not a greedy person. All I want is just what I need. And, And I just want to say, perhaps when we think about the way that we relate to money, it's possible that you and I trust money sometimes more than we ought to. And, and as we do that, we, we begin to lean into it in the same way that at the end point is becoming a greedy person. The end point is becoming that person that we've watched a movie about or we, we've heard about. But it didn't start there. It starts here in, in, in this moment where we have to decide, who am I serving? Serve God and not money. I've got three questions that I want us to consider that I think Jesus wants us to consider. What, first of all, is your treasure? Or sort of what do you treasure? Question number one. What do you treasure? Question number two, where is your focus? Where is your focus? And question number three, who do you serve? So let's talk about treasure, right? We all like to talk about treasure. Uh, We we went to the beach recently and and, um, we had, we stayed at a cottage and by the grace of God, there there was a pool in the cottage and my kids, we went to, I don't know if it was Walmart or something. They don't just have any more like the pool toys that you throw in, like little rocks or, or little, I don't know, flag things that, that sink to the bottom. Now they have like a treasure box, which is the coolest thing in the world because I feel like growing up, it was all pirates and I mean, it was ninjas as well. We'll talk about that in another sermon, I'm sure. But uh, there, there were pirates and there was treasure and so there was this cool treasure box, and in it were pieces, you know, little medallions of gold, and it was neat, so they'd go and and throw the treasure in. But treasure is something fun to talk about. We like treasure. Uh, And the reality is, it's something that's, there's something in our hearts that is drawn to valuable things. It's it's drawn to to shiny things. Little kids, they they see something shiny, they know that's a neat thing. And, And, you know, husbands, the, half the goal of becoming married is, is I got to find a shiny thing that my wife will like, that my fiance will like, that my girlfriend will appreciate as an expression of my love for her, and she'll say, yes, we like treasure. And so Jesus begins to talk about this in, in chapter 6, verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure. Now, we want to begin to think about that because Jesus is talking and he's not talking to a group of pirates, right? So what does he mean when he says that? I mean, as you begin to, to roll this out, he says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. And, and okay, well, Jesus, maybe you're talking about money. Okay, I see that. Don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth. Are you saying that I can't have a savings account, Jesus? I mean, I'm serious. It, you don't raise your hand, but how many of you have a retirement account? I mean, that's, that's the definition of laying up treasures on earth, right? Or, or at least maybe on the face, it, that, that could be what it means. Does that mean that it's unbiblical and ungodly for us to have a 401k? Okay, okay good. Some of you are like, I don't know if it is or isn't, but I got one and I'm keeping it. Um, but I think that you're right. And here's why. If, you, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 12... In one of the other gospels, he begins to talk about what, it, what does it look like for us to lay up treasures on, earth, treasures on earth? What does he mean when he says that? Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. He says this, 
Someone in the crowd said to him, hey, teacher, tell me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, right? Help me. We have this dispute, and I, I want you to, to be the judge over the dispute. And Jesus responds, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Pretty funny. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Don't don't get caught up wanting what the other person has because your life doesn't consist in your possessions. Your life, family, you're not, your life is not defined by what you do and don't have. As much as we want to think that, as much as, as, as in middle school, you know, it was, it was the starter jacket and it was what you do or don't have. If you have the starter jacket, you're, you're good to go. If you don't, man, you're not. You, the, the Massimo shirt, the, if you were a skateboarder, it was, it was Massimo and, and it was... Stussy. I mean, these were things, if you had it, you were in. If you didn't, you were out. But he says, no, no, no. That's not what makes your life. That's not what makes your life. And he goes on and he says, in verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my car. I've got so much stuff And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you guys remember DuckTales? Did you guys watch that? You remember Scrooge McDuck jumping into his pool of gold coins? I thought that was the coolest thing. I remember there's a picture. There's like a, I have a composition notebook a journal from like sixth grade, and, and it was like, what kind of house would you like to build? And I was like, well, clearly I would have the gymnasium filled with gold. I don't know what else I would have, but I would be doing some ducktails type swimming through gold. That was my goal in life. And that's kind of what this guy has going on. He says, you know, I've got a lot of stuff. Here's what I need. I need a bigger house for more stuff. And then I'll tell my heart, soul, be, be happy. Eat. Drink and be merry, right? He's not just saying, I'm going to save up for the things that I need. I'm just going to prepare for my family. I'm going to provide for those who are under my care. No, he says, I'm going to revel in my riches. I'm going to revel in my riches. I'm going to relax over my money, over my stuff. I'm going to trust these things. Jesus goes on and he says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, who, whose will they be? And he says, so to the one who lays up treasures for himself, right? That's the question. What were we talking about when we said that? For the one who lays up treasures for himself, th- this is the outcome and is not rich toward God. So when Jesus is talking in, in Matthew about laying up treasures for himself, he, he isn't necessarily talking about your 401k, but he might be. He isn't necessarily talking about your, 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 your investment portfolio, but he might be. Because the question is not necessarily how much money you have stored up. The question is, what is your disposition toward the money that you have? Is it something that draws you in that you say, oh, you know what keeps me warm and happy at night? Is that bottom line. I love every month when I come and I see, or right now I'm really upset when I come and see my money evaporate. 
right? How do I know? Well, let me put it this way. Jesus is not concerned about our possessing money as much as he's concerned about money possessing us. Jesus is not concerned about our possessing money as much as he's concerned with money possessing us. So how, how do I know if my money possesses me? Here's some, some diagnostic questions or thoughts. When you experience financial hardship, which I'm sure none of you have experienced in the last five years, but just imagine with me, is your first inclination to figure out how to get, get a side hustle on or how to make more money, or is it to go to God? Now, again, I'm not saying that, that your side job, you know, your Uber Eats or whatever you're doing or, you know, lawn care. I was talking to a guy, actually my EMT, really nice guy. He's like, yeah, I, I've been doing lawns since I was like a teenager and I actually make more money there. I was like, oh, cool. Well, go ahead, son. I was talking to my wife. You know? <laughs> um, but but when, you, when you consider difficulties as they come into your life, do you try to manage those things? It's not wrong to manage it, but your disposition towards that thing is it is it I have to make sure that I take care of this thing and 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 I get more money, or is it let me see what God is doing in this moment? When you experience a financial windfall, do you thank God or you do you very quickly figure out, okay, where is this going? What's your first inclination? There's gonna be a, a touchy one. Do you tithe? It got real quiet for a second there. And then the Christian's like, yeah, uh, I do. <laughs> Hold on, let me get my phone out. Uh, I do now. Uh, <laughs> do you tithe? I'm not asking that as the guy who, who receives the tithe for the sake of the working of this church. I'm asking that for your sake. You understand that when we offer opportunities for you to give, it's not just so that we have a regular income as a church so that we can operate, but it's so that you have the opportunity to say to your money, money, you are not my God, God is. That's why it's part of the worship service, because we are worshiping God as we say, money, you are not my God, God, you are my God. Here's my money, God. This is a, a physical, a resource uh, uh, expression of my discipleship. You see, Jesus is interested not just in in, in the bottom line, but he's interested in our hearts. So he moves from treasure to focus. And, and this feel, when I first read this, this felt a little abrupt. But he goes and he says, the eye, after talking about treasure, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? This doesn't make sense until you realize that he's talking in context of, of what, your, what your treasure is and what you're worshiping and as, as he's going to say, who you're serving. A good eye, he says, let's light in. It acts like a lamp. So if your body is, is walking around and your eye is open, it should let good light in. But a bad eye, it says that it prevents light from coming in. Now, Jesus is using probably some wordplay. You could, you could go one of two directions here. The word good can mean one or, or only single primary. And so he could be saying that the good eye is the, is the, the eye that is loyal, that is undivided. 
right? A good eye, a good focus, a good perspective is undivided. You're not looking here and here. You're looking at God and you're, you're, you're pursuing the light that is in God. You're not kind of looking over to the side and looking at money and uh, I, I can trust that. No, it's undivided. And, and at the same way, the bad eye or the evil eye was, was an idiom used to describe stinginess. So he could be saying, you know, there, there's a difference between the person who is undivided in their devotion and the person who is divided, or he could say there's a difference between the person who is generous and the person who is stingy, but it's clear that what he's saying is where your focus is determines your priorities and your loyalties. Where your focus is determines your priorities and your loyalties. Paul talks about that a little bit in, in a Col- Colossians chapter 3. He says it this way, if you've been raised, this is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and following. If then you've been raised with Christ, if you're you're Christian, if you're united to Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For if you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying, have a heavenly perspective of things. Have an eternal perspective of things. And as we apply that to money, it changes the way that we relate to money. If our focus is on money here and now, then we're going to want what we want here and now. But if if our focus is on God, knowing that eternity is coming, then, then when bad things come down the pike, it's not as bad for us. And when good things come down the pike, they're not necessarily as good. So what's your priority? Where are you focused? Is, is, is money your priority? Are possessions your priority? Is life oriented around your stuff? And, you, and family, this is, this is our temptation. We, we, we read the scriptures and we're like, we think of a scenario and we say, that's not me. And my guess is most of you don't live in multi-million dollar mansions with little gold cherubs and marble floors and your temptation would be to say my focus isn't money but but let me put it this way are you are you open-handed with the things that you do have or are you close-handed with them you know are you the person at lunch who's like that's my taco don't touch it I am I joke, but when we talk about the things that we have, when we see someone else who has a need, are we open-handed or are we saying, "Mm, that's mine? Where is your focus? Ultimately, what we treasure and what we're focused on has to do with who we serve. So he goes on and he talks about service. If we go back, he continues and he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And, and the word he uses there is mammon, which was the god of money. He says you can't serve both. Now, now you might be thinking, well, you can kind of, you know, at work I serve three bosses. You know, I've got my project manager, I've got the guy I report to every, every year, and then I've got, you know, the, the project lead. And I've got, I've got all my bosses. 
But that's not what he's talking about. The word there for serve, it's the word to be a slave of. You can't, you don't share ownership. And, and family, I, I, I don't know if as a Christian you've thought to yourself, I'm, I've been freed in Christ from my sins and therefore I no longer have a master. That is bunk. We are freed to be slaves. But we're freed to be slaves to a good master. And the question is, who are you serving? He's not talking about waiting tables. He's talking about a life's disposition. Are we slaves of God or slaves of money? And this is a serious question. Jesus, or not Jesus, well, God, in Exodus chapter 20, he's bringing the people out out of Egypt, and he's establishing some standards by which they are to live. He's establishing a covenant and there was this standard way of doing things uh, in, in that time, in, in that area, where they'd set up these treaties where a great king would come and he would establish a relationship with a lesser nation. And, and he'd write this covenant, and, and one of the first things he would do would, is, would be to establish who he was as a king to this lesser nation and how they were responsible to respond because of that. And so God is using that format, and he says in chapter 20, verses 1, and he says to the Israelites, uh, and God spoke all the words saying, I am the Lord, Yahweh. I am, or, I am who I am, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right? He's saying, this is what I've done for you people. This is what I have accomplished on your behalf. You couldn't bring yourself out of Egypt. You couldn't bring yourself out of slavery. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't bring uh, redemption to your life. You couldn't pay the cost that it would take for you to come out of slavery. And he says, in light of that fact, you shall have no other gods before me. There's no other God that has saved you. There's no other God that has, has brought life to you. And in fact, the 10 plagues we believe that, that God had, had sent to the Egyptians had addressed some of their pagan gods. And he's saying all these other gods, all these other focuses that the Egyptians have, they are powerless. They are impotent before Yahweh. And so he says to the Israelites, I want you to understand that I am the greater king. And you're in the position of needing my help and support. And you need to understand this. There is no other God before me. And it's interesting that he goes on and he says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of, of a thing that's in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water uh, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. He's saying there's only one God. You may have a lot of bosses, but you only have one master. And, and, and we think, oh, you know, that was a long time ago. But God has not changed. And he is a father. He is gentle. He is kind. He's, he adopts us. He, 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 it says in Ephesians that he predestines us for adoption as sons. In other words, as those who receive an inheritance. He brings us into the family. But that does not change the fact that he is a jealous God. He's jealous over your life. And he wants your life. He doesn't want you serving other things, other people's. But, but you might be saying, okay, well, that's fine. I don't worship other gods. I don't, I don't worship idols. But let me, let me ask you these questions. Um, 
Will you use money in ways that don't make sense to those who serve money, or do you use money's money in, in a way that's pretty normal? Because if, if God is your master, you'll use money in ways that don't make sense to those who serve money. I mean, tithing doesn't make sense to the average person except for the pot- potential tax benefit. They might say, oh yeah, I, I give you know, in order to lower my gross in, or my net income so that I don't have to pay as much, many taxes. But, but do you give sacrificially? No, I don't give sacrificially. It's my money. If, if God is your master, you're going to do things with money that don't make sense to people. If God is your master, you can freely give to the church even when it doesn't make sense because you know that God will provide. If money is your master, you'll debate over whether it's necessary to obey God in his commands to be generous. You know, second and fourth Friday come around, you're like, ah, I got these other bills I got to deal with. Do, do I have to be generous with my money? If God is your master, you won't react as much to the positive bumps in your portfolio, and you won't cry as much over the negative slumps, because ultimately your hope is not in your portfolio, it's in God. Again, now, none of this is, is saying that money is evil, right? The Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that love of money is the root of all evil, devotion to money, devotion to stuff, devotion, serving this thing as an all-powerful, all-giving God. Don't be fooled by the love of money. God will not compromise. And it's, it's, he isn't jealous because, you know, sometimes when you think about the jealousy of God, we think of, you know, just this grumpy, <laughs> guys, come on. Harumph. Right? But, but the picture of jealousy is not of, of, there's a difference between envy or covetousness, which is wanting something that isn't yours, and jealousy, which is wanting or being protective of something that is yours. We are gods. We are his, not we are plural gods. We are possessive God's people. You know, I'm, I'm married and, and my wife and I, we're allowed to be jealous over one another. I'm hers and she is mine. And if, if some dude comes up and he's trying to act in some kind of way, I'm going to be jealous over that because she's my wife. And, and so when God begins to talk about serving when he's talking about, hey, you, you can't have two masters. It's, it's not him, come on, guys. No, he's saying, I, I've paid so much. You know, for those who, who don't have a relationship with God, he's given you life. He's blessed you with, with so many blessings. And if you are a Christian, then you're uh, one, one person, I can't remember who it was, but I didn't come up with it. You're twice his. He created you and he redeemed you. Right? He, he's, he's the one that, that you married him, you ran off, he came back and got you. He's jealous. He's jealous. But he's also good. 
I, I led off last week with the idea that God is generous because I want you to understand that the God who calls you to be a, a, a slave to him and not a slave to money is the God who says, I'll be generous. The God who says, who says, you shall have no other gods before me is the same God who says, I will be with you unto the ends of the age. I will not leave you nor will I forsake you. I will work all things for your good according to uh, all the promises that I've made in the word. God will not compromise because he wants all of our trust and he knows that he's a better God than money or possessions or things will ever be. Family, generosity begins when we see that God is generous and when we serve God as our master, we're free to trust him and free to be generous ourselves. If you struggle with generosity, I would encourage you to consider how generous God has been. And then I would ask you to look at what your relationship is to your money, your stuff, your possessions. Do I, am I thankful for these things or am I needful of these things? Am I thankful for these things as blessings from God or are these things, things that I feel like I could not give up? But if you will give those things up or at least give them to God, he will, he will reward you with, with treasures in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that I thank you that you do love us. I thank you that you've shown us that love richly in your son Jesus Christ. That you you sent him to to redeem us so that we might be twice yours. That even though we are sinners, um, even though we've disobeyed, you've invited us to new life new relationship through the life, death, and resurrection of your son. And your word says that if we, if we trust him, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and give us new life. Lord, I pray that as we consider these things, your generosity towards us in salvation and your generosity towards us in, in all of our lives, Lord, that we would be people who serve you, that we would serve God and not money. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus as your own Lord, if you've never trusted God, you recognize that maybe you've been trusting other things, but you want to trust God today, would you just raise your hand? Great, once that hand's up, you can put it back down. Just pray this with me. God, I, I turn away from trusting in other things. And I trust you, Lord. Would you help me to have a right relationship to money? God, I give it all back to you. Show me how you would have me use it. And God, I, I give my life to you. Show me how you would use it. Lord, bless this people. I pray that we'd be a generous people. People whose lives, whose resources were used in such a way that people would say, what is, these people are different. Lord, I pray that you would minister through our generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.